for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Okay, all right. I don't need to say anything more. We just have uh, a young man now coming up to share his heart, share his life, all about his family and everything like that. Okay. Yeah, all the best. Yeah, let's just pray for Matt, shall we, as he, as he comes to speak us. Lord Jesus, we just want to pray for Matt, Lord Jesus. Pray that you'd bless him and encourage him. Lord, the words he's got, help him to speak boldly and in your spirit. And pray for us, Lord, that you'd help our hearts to be open, to receive everything you've got to speak to us and to challenge us with. In Jesus' name, amen. It's very kind, Bob, of you to call me a young man. Is anybody, uh, yeah, crazy. <laughs> Last time I preached, you might remember that I was quite disconsolate because I'd been, been to the doctors recently who told me I was getting old. So that's a complete opposite. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very, thank you, Bob. Um, it's really good when you're coming up to preach and basically, in the worship, God has been saying everything that I was going to say when I preach. So we could probably just leave it and just go home. No, no, no. But um, so a bit of an echo. We've got an echo. That's just me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, today I'm preaching on being adopted and perfectly loved, and just some of the words that were brought about God being a trustworthy God, that He's chosen us that Jesus is our rock, that the Father wants us to come to him, that we're not overlooked. That is, that is the heart of God, our Father, isn't it? It's amazing, and it's so encouraging um, that God is speaking through that, hopefully as well as what he has me to say as well. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, I'm going to read two scriptures which I'm going to be referring to a bit. I'm going to read Galatians 4 first, and if you want to be uh, um, turning to Romans 8 because I'm going to be mainly using that through the course of this morning. Uh, So first of all, Galatians 4, 4 4-7 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. Amen. And then Romans eight twelve to 17. So then, brothers, <clears throat> we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, really interesting topic, um, really exciting speaking on this this week. I, um, I studied cultural studies at university, which 
basically nobody really knows what that is and what it means. I kind of don't really myself. Um, basically, it was a bit of a Mickey Mouse degree, as I've been told. It wasn't from a real university either. So I kind, I kind of, you know, I carry that around with me. I know, I know. Uh, I did get a 2-1, but that's probably not really worth much. Anyway, a lot of... I know, I know, I know. I know. But uh, I'll just put that in. Um, but a lot of what it was about was about kind of identity and how our identity is shaped by kind of the world around us. It was really interesting. Um, and it's kind of an area that I think is, you know, is interesting, has interested me since. In conjunction with that, and also um, recently I... Um, Move jobs in my current role. So I currently work within specialist children's services for Kent County Council. And um, over the last sort of six to nine months, I've been working uh, on services for children and uh, families and young people that are in the care of the local authority um, or perhaps are leaving the care of the local authority. And part of this is, is kind of adoption and fostering and those kind of things. And it's really a really interesting, challenging kind of area of work, but it's one that I really have a massive respect for people, anybody who's involved in. So that said, um, today we are kind of carrying on talking about identity. And I'm going to kind of start by talking about where our our identities used to be and then kind of move on to what our identity becomes as adopted children of God and what some of the kind of benefits or privileges of that are. I want to try and keep it as short as possible, which is also a bit of worrying thing to say isn't it because inevitably you say that and it goes on for ages but I'm going to try and keep it short um, in all seriousness because I think afterwards it will be really important to pray for people I think God has got some specific things he's put on my heart for people and just as a forewarning I think it's going to be really important if you feel God is speaking to you I'm going to invite people up the front to be prayed for so we can really just really believe God wants to touch people and speak to people today so just be kind of aware of that and be listening to God as I um, as well as he speaks through me so be good to start with a definition of adoption in case we need one and a, a, a good quote I found or definition is this adoption is a process whereby a person assumes the parenting of another usually a child from that person's biological or legal parent or parents, and in doing so, permanently transfers all rights and responsibilities from the biological parent or parents. So even in this statement, there's several things that we could start to pick out in terms of adoption and how that might apply to us spiritually. But before we go there, like I said, I'm going to start by looking at our kind of our state before we were adopted. And in this case, one of our state before we were adopted by our Heavenly Father. So where have we kind of come from? Now, it might feel like we're starting on a little bit of a negative here. OK, but um, excuse me. But verse 15 of Romans 8 is really central to what I'm talking about today. And it's really important that we look at the two parts that it contains. So Paul talks about the spirit of slavery that leads to fear and the spirit of adoption in verse 15. It's the spirit of slavery to fear that kind of comes first, followed by the spirit of adoption. And this kind of illustrates what happens to us as Christians. So first and foremost, we need to realise here today that we, when we're born... We are not automatically given child of God status. 
Okay? In fact, it's the complete opposite, isn't it? Martin Lloyd-Jones explains it like this. He says, we must lay down the proposition that none of us, by nature, is a child or a son of God. We are children of Adam. That is our parentage. That's where we belong by nature. We are all born with a fallen nature. Jesus Christ is unique, the only begotten son of the Father, the only begotten son of God. But it's utterly unscriptural to say that we, all human beings, are sons of God or children of God. So we're all born sinful. We're essentially sons of Adam. Interesting, this is where some of my degree comes in. Academically, there are two kind of camps okay, regarding identity. One camp says that we have an essence, so that we have an essential nature that we're born with. And another camp says that our identity is constructed through social experience. So that's kind of an interesting kind of thought, and perhaps that's you know, one to thrash around in community group in terms of how it relates to us. But one thing that we know that we are is we're by essence, we are sinful. Okay, we can learn to live life well, but we can never construct for ourselves a life or an identity which will mean that we're acceptable to God in his eyes. We can't do anything to stop the fact that we are born with a sinful nature. And it is a bleak picture, but we are born sinful, and that is our identity at birth. Our sinfulness isn't a product of our upbringing, although obviously our upbringing can affect the degree of our sinfulness, I guess. But we are sinful through Adam, who originally sinned in the Garden of Eden. Now, I think it's really important to realise that there's a right sense of unworthiness that we should feel about this. And actually, the Holy Spirit has a key role to play in highlighting this to us. And hence, that spirit of slavery to fear that Paul talks about in Romans. If I quote uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones again, he says this, The Holy Spirit, being who and what he is, and being sent to do his special work, invariably, as he reveals God and the Lord Jesus Christ, must produce in us a sense of total unworthiness. If we have not known this sense of unworthiness, if we've not known some sense of desperation within ourselves concerning the sin that's within us, how can we claim to have a real knowledge of God? I'll read that. That's a bit of an uncomfortable one, isn't it, I think? You know, reading about being desperately unworthy. I mean, he does go on to qualify that this sense of unworthiness can be of different varying strengths. Okay, so we don't need to be concerned if we're Christians here, if we've never kind of spent hours or weeks on our knees wrapped with guilt over sin. But actually, there is a spiritual truth in the fact that the Holy Spirit always reveals to us our sin and our unloveliness before God. It's also true, of course, that the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we realise his glory and his perfection, and therefore the more we realise the extent of our sin, but the extent that we've been forgiven. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily matter how strongly you feel unworthy, but it does follow that the more we realise how much we've sinned and therefore how much we've been forgiven that determines how much we realise being an adopted child of God is truly and utterly remarkable. Because it is really remarkable, isn't it? 
We are forgiven of our sin. 1 John 1, 9 makes that clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's be really clear about that. And the first verse of chapter 8 of Romans says this too, doesn't it? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being adopted as children of God means that we leave behind our old lives through what Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins. The old has gone and the new has come. We're a new creation, and Nelson talked about this a couple of weeks ago in his preach, didn't he? God has adopted us, and you become his son or daughter, and that's amazing. There's a really good quote that I found from the Scottish government website that really kind of highlights and clearly sort of shows the transforming power of adoption. And it says this. It's like another description, really, of adoption. But It says this. Adoption is a legal process that creates a new status of parent and child between an adult and a child, whether they're related to each other or not. An adoption order vests the parental responsibilities and rights in relation to a child in the adopter and extinguishes any existing parental right or responsibility held by a birth parent who's not an adopter. It extinguishes any existing parental right or responsibility held by a birth parent who's not an adopter. Adoption therefore breaks the legal relationship between the child and the birth parents. And in the law, the child becomes the child of the adopter for legal purposes. Adoption means that we become a child of God. Because, and because it's God himself who's adopted us in this legal way, the action is completely and utterly irreversible and our past life is left behind us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. So let's look a little bit more about adoption. Um, it looks a bit where we come from. This is like the nice bit. Uh, so... <laughs> You can kind of adopt anything these days, can't you? If you look it up, a really simple internet search, you can adopt lions, tigers, giraffes, elephants, snow leopards, pandas, whatever takes your fancy. And it's really quite easy, really, to adopt these things, actually. You can just sign up, give some money, you get a photo every now and again and a sense of kind of warmth inside. Um, And that's great, but it's not actually adoption, is it, in the real sense of the word. This kind of distance adoption, it requires actually quite a low level of commitment, doesn't it, really? And not that much effort. But actually, in the truest sense, adoption is about absolute commitment, isn't it? It's about two things you don't get when you like adopt an octopus. <laughs> it's about a relationship and it's about security. And if I come back again to my, um, my kind of experience over the last six, nine months, my perception is this, is that adoption is kind of like, very much like a gold standard 
for a child. Being adopted implies that a child is going to have a permanent home. And one of the ways the council kind of um, measures um, the support it gives to children in its care is by the level of permanence that a child has, i.e. how many times they might move between different placements. And again, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not pretending to be a social worker, but common sense kind of dictates that the more stable a placement is for a child, so the less times they move, the better the long-term outcomes for that child is going to be. You know, with adoption, you're giving a child a permanent family of their own to look after them for life. And God is for life. He has chosen you and he isn't going to move on somewhere else. You know, in a society where there's increasing loneliness and isolation, God says, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you for life and for eternity. You know, there's kind of like this sense of achievement-based merit that permeates our culture a lot these days as well. We're accepted on the basis of what we have or what we can achieve, you know, whether that's at school, whether that's with our friends, whether that's at work. But adoption is the absolute opposite of this. It's about unconditional acceptance, regardless of your circumstances. It's about grace, isn't it? Accepted as we are. And I think many people walk through life with a sense, really, of not knowing who they are or where they belong, And perhaps that is you here today. But the thing is, being a child of God gives us an absolute identity of belonging in the family of God. We are individually, each one of us, a Christian here today, chosen by God through no credit of our own and not because of anything that we have done. The thing is with adoption, no one child just automatically becomes adopted. You know, a great deal of thought and care and matching goes into making sure that that adoption will be a success. It's a really considered, conscious decision. And you know what? It's one that God has made for you here today too, because he loves you very, very much. He wanted to adopt you. He wanted you to be his child. doesn't necessarily mean life's going to be easy, does it? We all know that. But it does mean that we have a love like no other that is guaranteed. And we're guaranteed an eternity spent with our Heavenly Father. So, just got three specific things that are privileges of adoption I just want to go over. First of all, I've kind of touched on it, but it's this kind of sense of a relationship with God that we are sons, not slaves. So I have kind of covered this a bit, but one of the most remarkable privileges of being adopted as a child of God is surely the fact that we can speak to God. We can speak to the creator of the universe and have a relationship with him as a loving father. We don't have to relate to him like some sort of slave master, slave driver who tells us to do X, Y and Z for fear of the consequences. 
We don't have to earn his approval. We come to God as his child. God is our creator, isn't he? He's our judge. He's our Lord and master. He's our teacher, our provider, our protector. But the one role that is most intimate and is the highest privilege for us is that of God's role as our father. Now, being a child, the picture of being a child of God and not a slave was um, a particularly powerful image in Roman times when Paul would have written um, sort of Romans that we've read today. At that time, adoption was really important and was a really important part of life. There was a significant pressure on families to have at least one son to carry on their family line and to inherit their estate. But the thing is, families was, um, having a family was expensive, which I guess is <laughs> nothing new there. <laughs> having, um, having more than two or three children was kind of less common because of the cost of educating a child and making sure they had the right you know, kind of political connections. And family was bound up with this sense of kind of this idea of honour. And um, a couple that didn't have children would have been desperate to continue their family line and continue their honour. They would have looked to adopt a child of their own. And sometimes this was kind of prearranged with other families. But other times, families would have adopted a slave child to become their own child and be part of their family. And this was pretty remarkable in Roman times because, as I'm sure a lot of us all know, slaves were not particularly well treated. They were really regarded as just basically items of property, Um, they had no legal status, they had no kind of legal personhood. Slaves could be subject to corporal punishment, sexual exploitation, torture or execution without any real reprimand on those that had carried out such acts. Slaves couldn't give evidence in court unless they'd been tortured first. I didn't know that because they didn't expect, they expected slaves would be so uh, loyal to their masters that they were automatically tortured before they could even give court uh, testimony in court slaves could be freed but even when they were freed they never fully got the same rights as free people there were certain jobs they couldn't hold for example now it's kind of important to understand this quite bleak picture of slavery because it makes it all the more powerful when we're thinking about adoption now whilst it wasn't always the case at the worst of times i said a slave was considered really a non-person nothing more than a possession And what's remarkable is this slave, this mere object for carrying out a job, could be chosen by a family to be adopted into that family. And were this the case, that slave child would join the new family and would take on every legal right as if they'd been born by those parents themselves. They would be amazingly free from that status as a slave free from that possibilities of beating and disrespect and abuse, and they would be fully a child of the family that they joined. That would even include inheriting from that family as well. And this is what God has done for us, yeah? He's forgiven us, and we can now appear guiltless before him. You know, God could have just regenerated our hearts. He could have just made us spiritually alive. He could have justified us, so he could have just made us right before him legally, forgiven us in the eyes of the law, 
And that would have been fine. We would have been saved and we'd spend eternity with him. God could have stopped there if he'd have wanted to, but he didn't. In adopting us as his children, he showed us without any doubt that he wants a relationship with us. He has made saving us, me and you, personal. And that should really have an impact on us. You know, I've been thinking, obviously, a lot in preparing this preach, as you'd hope. Um, But you know what? I've been thinking, and I really want to be known for my relationship with God, with other people. And I've been thinking about um, Cynthia, as some of you will know, as somebody who's in this church who who, um, went to be with Jesus recently. I've been thinking about her her as well. And um, when you look at her life on the surface, there was nothing necessarily remarkable about her life and I don't mean that in any way disrespectfully she had a good job she worked as a PA she lived in a nice house she came to church if somebody outside of church might have looked at her and thought that she's no different really to other people but you know what Cynthia's legacy amongst other things will be her relationship with God the strength of her relationship with her heavenly father, particularly in the midst of great suffering and hardship. She loved her Jesus and she loved her father in heaven. And although I will remember other things about her, that is one thing that will really stick with me. And you know what? I've decided that I want people to look at me and talk about me as someone who really loves Jesus. You know, loves their father in heaven and knows that they're a child of God. And I'm not saying that out of any sort of pride, but I want that to be what defines me. And I'm not even saying that I'm there yet, but I don't want to worry at what people think of me. You know, I'm human and I make plenty of mistakes along the way, but I want to be secure in God. I want to be just thinking, you know what, my father in heaven loves me. I love him, I'm secure, and it doesn't matter what other people think about me. You know, I know it's not easy, and like I say, I'm not there yet, but I want to be defined by what matters, my relationship with my father. Because I am a child of God, you are a child of God, and that is so, so much of a privilege. So secondly, we're understood by God. I wasn't going to make a particularly big point of this actually, but in preparing I felt it was important for some people here to know that God understands you. You know, let's be honest, life's pretty hard sometimes, isn't it? You know, what we're talking about here in my mind is really radical stuff if we grasp it. It's amazing to know how much God forgives us and loves us as his child. But you know what? When you're really struggling... When you feel most alone, when you're going through that problem and you just feel completely on your own, however big or small it is, God wants you to know he understands. He understands. Jesus understands. Jesus understands what it's been like to be tempted in every way. He understands what it's like to suffer in any of the ways we might be suffering. And I think it's a hard concept sometimes to understand. I was talking to some of the guys in our community group about this recently 
And sometimes I kind of struggle. I kind of think that we identify Jesus with when he was alive on earth and perhaps find it difficult to identify with Jesus in the 21st century and kind of fully understand that he might grasp our situation today. But, of course, he can, can't he? God, our Heavenly Father, is completely outside of time. No issue with new technology. (laughs) No complex work situation is going to fox God. No issue over a house move or some mystery illness that the doctors can't seem to understand. None of that's going to unnerve God. And I'm, you know, I'm conscious sometimes of talking too much about my kids when I preach, but my children are at that age when they think that I am capable of doing practically anything that I put my mind to, and more often than not doing it better than anybody else in the whole world. I am actually apparently brilliant at everything from racing remote control cars to playing football to sticking stickers, to cooking dinner. And um, obviously, it might shock you to know that I'm not actually particularly brilliant at any of these things. But my children are smallish, and I'm their dad. And um, they will soon learn that I'm uh, not actually a freak cross between Jamie Oliver, David Beckham and Iron Man. (laughs) I'm just normal. But I'm good at stickers. <laughs> Sticking I can do, and I'll claim that. I will claim that. But, but obviously the point of this is, is that God isn't that father, is he? God is the infallible father. He isn't fallible like I am. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get angry with us for no reason because he's having a bad day. He always has time for us. He never gets tired We never irritate him because we make the same mistakes over and over again and never seem to learn. He's infinitely patient, loving and kind towards us. Our Father in heaven understands us and takes care of our needs. I'm just going to read a passage from um, Psalm 103 from the message because that really sums this up up, um, really well. It says this, God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how he went about his work opened up his plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. As far as sun rises from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. He knows us inside out. God's love is ever and always eternally present to all who fear him, making everything right for them and their children as they follow his covenant ways and remember to do what he said. We're God's children, former slaves to sin that have been rescued and we're understood by our Father. Amen? Amen. So, lastly, we get given wonderful gifts. When Paul says in verse 14 of Romans 8 that we're sons of God, it's really important, um, regardless of whether we're men or women here. You know, in Roman times, the son inherited all the family estate, even if he had older sisters. 
Again, if we look back on that, um, that quote from the Scottish Government website, adoption breaks the legal relationship between the child and the birth parents. And in law, the child becomes the child of the adopters for legal purposes. Being an adopted son, whether we're men or women, guarantees an inheritance for us. Okay? We have the rights of God's adopted sons and we will receive an inheritance from God. Galatians 4, as I read at the beginning, says this, doesn't it? We're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. We get an inheritance. Some of them we get now, some of it we get later. And I think perhaps just one thing I wanted to, to, to say was that perhaps I think one of the most special of the gifts we get now from God is the gift of the Holy Spirit to comfort us and empower us for living the Christian life. God gives us the privilege of being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, verse 14 suggests, in Romans 8, suggests the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in the paths of obedience, helping us to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit is fundamental in helping us understand the love God has for us. And he is available here today to impart something of that into our hearts. Because relationship isn't necessarily kind of something that is in your head, is it, I guess? You know, I can know that Tracy, my wife, I can know that she loves me, but obviously if she never demonstrated it, my lack of experience of her love might ultimately lead me to question whether that's actually the truth or not. You know, we can know God loves us. I can say it as many times as I like up here. But actually, if we don't experience that too, that's kind of the important thing, isn't it? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes it real to us. And I'd like to pray for people afterwards if, uh, if that's something you need. And then lastly, we have a great inheritance in heaven. Darren really sort of talked about this when he came up. This is part of this inheritance we don't get yet. 1 Peter 1, 4 describes this as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. All the blessings and privileges of heaven are waiting for us and are put at our disposal because we are children of the King. Okay, so just in, in sort of conclusion, we've talked a bit about adoption and the privileges. I think there are two distinct applications for us. First of all, there are uh, applications for us individually, but I think there's an application for us kind of corporately as a church as well. Um, Galatians 4, 8 and 9 says this, speaking about adoption. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? We're no longer slaves, so why would we go back to the way we lived as we were slaves? Romans 8.15 implies the same point. We don't need to look back on our old life, but forward to our new life. And it's important to remember this verse in Romans clearly indicates that the spirit of fear and the spirit of adoption can't exist together. If there's anybody here today who is still plagued, and has fear and is, is um, overwhelmed by historic sin in their life. I really want to pray for you in a minute. You know, verse, as I said in Rome, um, earlier, first verse in Romans 8 says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. As adopted children of God, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to free us from the fear of the past. 
the fear of slavery to the sin that we may have committed, the fear of anything that we might have done before we were Christians or since we've been Christians that you don't feel that God can forgive. But know today that it is gone and it is finished and that as a Christian your new identity is as a child of God. I also think it's really important that we pray for people who need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, perhaps you are one, uh, somebody who is really struggling to accept or understand that feeling that you're adopted and unconditionally loved by God. It's in your head, but you've never really felt that. And I think it would be good to pray for you too. And lastly, in preparing, I thought that there might be people here that have felt rejected. And I think there's people who have felt rejected recently, either through a relationship breakdown or a work situation. And there are people who just have felt that they've carried around a feeling of rejection with them for a long time and they can't shake it. But you know, God accepts you and does not reject you, ever. And I think it would be really good too to pray for you if that's how you're feeling. And then just lastly, as has already been talked to somebody spoke about earlier, there's something for us corporately here too isn't there we are adopted and we're adopted into a family God's family sometimes people use the word brother or sister when they're talking don't they to refer to fellow Christians and actually I think that's really helpful next time you hear that remember that where that comes from is the fact that we're brothers and sisters we are all adopted as God's children and it says in 1 Timothy 5 do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's just have respect for each other. You know, seek out those that are more mature Christians and perhaps can provide guidance for you. Look out for those amongst us who are perhaps more vulnerable and need support. Treat children in the church as you treat your own children. Look out for them and care for them. We're a family and we're all under the headship of God, our ultimate father. So let's show that kindness and that care to each other in the church family too. Amen. Amen.